I've definitely joked in the past that it was like, oh, like cis 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 like really wanted an identity so badly, and they like just create these like random ones based on what they like to do. Uh, and so, like, ga- and being a gamer is like very very similar to that. Welcome to Pixel Therapy, the video game podcast where we look at the games we play through the lens of the player, where what you play is just as important as how you play it, and where emotional intelligence is a critical stat. Every three weeks, we bring on a guest who may or may not consider themselves a gamer to discuss one of the games that made them and changed them, and all the feelings that they have about our favorite pastime. I'm your co-host, Jamie, pronouns she, her. And I am your co-host, Spencer, they, them. And this is Pixel Therapy. So pull up that armchair. You can lie down on your couch. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to talk about some feelings. On your Spencer. floor. Oh, yeah. If you can you're lay down having on your acute back pain like me, you can lay on the floor or go. the nearest foam roller. Mm. Yeah. Love a foam roller. How, how are you feeling about video games today, Spencer? At the beginning of the pandemic, I feel like I and like a lot of other people was just sort of like an autopilot. Like I feel like I... I actually Persona Five Royal had just come out, so like I honestly feel like the first like six weeks of the pandemic, I was just not present. I was just like Akira uh, or Ren, I guess, depending on who you who you believe. Um, but um, I think lately, like this week in particular, uh, the whole lockdown and everything has just been hitting me pretty hard. Um, my a friend of mine sent me an article from um, the Elemental blog on Medium, and there was the it's about um, it's about surge capacity, and uh, essentially the idea is that um, human surge capacity. Uh, this was a coin. Uh, this was a this is a term coined um, by a psychologist named Ann Mastin, Doctor Ann Mastin. Um, Surge capacity is a collection of adaptive systems, mental and physical, that humans draw on for short-term survival in acutely stressful situations such as natural disasters. And the idea is that, um, you know, it keeps you going, um, keeps you stable, keeps you able to take care of your shit, handle your shit if you're going through like a really acute disaster. Um, And this pandemic certainly felt that way in the beginning, um, but now it very much feels like it's stretching on indefinitely and... Um, I've found myself sinking into this uh, just sort of aimless depression and grief, I guess would be the mm. easiest way to describe it. Um, I also had, I had just finished up Ghosts of Tsushima last, uh, early last week, and I, it definitely left me in an emotionally fragile place. Um mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I just didn't really have much energy to do anything, think about anything. Um, like, sometimes when I'm really, really depressed, I find that, like, even playing a game, like, if I can't, if I'm not doing well, like, it just, like, makes me feel worse about myself. Um, and it just kind of got me thinking, um, like, at work, we've been doing these, uh, like, really, really cool and really important, um, like, working groups. Uh, we call it a book club. And essentially, it's a mix of folks uh white, non-white, um, black folks as well, and uh, we're all co-workers, and um, we come to these sessions to just, uh, like, talk about ideas together and, and um, talk about, like, anti-racist work, and um, when we were in this working group, um, something that one of my colleagues brought up is that as a white cis woman, um, 
you know, she would often growing up hear this voice in her head telling her like, I'm different from other girls because I'm into sports. I'm different from other girls because like those girls are only care about boys and makeup. And I think that there are different ways that these voices work and operate in our own heads as agents of, of white supremacy, of fat phobia, of, you know, racism, um, ableism, uh, all these other things. Like even when we are working our hardest, um, to, you know, dismantle uh, these these structures in our personal lives and our relationships, um, there's still this fight that we have to have in our own minds. And, um, mm. you know, the way that we move past that is uh, is by forming connections with others. Like there's something so powerful just in turning to another person and having them see you and validate you. And, mm-hmm. and um, we started talking about how, you know, like, like for me as a as a queer trans person growing up like i didn't come out until i was in my mid early mid 20s just because i had never seen another trans person another asian queer person in my hometown that was not what was surrounded me and i didn't even have the words to articulate like what i was and the first time that another um you know queer trans person of color looked at me and said no you are real cuz i can relate to what you're going through, um, like that made me feel like I could escape, um, you know, what those voices were telling me, the boxes they were putting me in. And so, you know, I think that these systems of oppression are designed to keep us separated, to turn us against each other so that we don't have the capacity to um, form new ways of thinking by finding other people who would agree with us. And so, you know, really community is the most powerful tool we have to push back uh, on these on these systems of oppression. Like, like we build that by opening ourselves to others. And so to relate this back to video games, um, basically what it got me thinking about was how in games it almost – in a lot of ways would have you believe the opposite. Like a lot of games, um, you are this chosen one and um, the world just revolves around you and the actions that you take have ripple effects that go all the way up to the top. Um, like, mm-hmm. like really you are the master of the universe and also like you are so powerful that you, like sure, you you need NPCs in that like they can help you get to another level or like an interaction with them unlocks something, but it's very rare that like you utterly depend on another non-playable character in the game to complete that game. Um, Like I think that in some ways um, games can sort of reinforce this fallacy that like, you know, individualism, exceptionalism is the norm. Um, Just got me thinking about that. I don't think every game is like that, um, but it did just make me think about how um, there is this emphasis on, like, being the chosen one. and, And often, like, I find that as I've gotten older, like, I think when I was a kid, just trying to get, to, like when when my goal was adulthood and and being free of you know abuse trauma whatever um, like I very much felt like this tragic hero forging my own path alone. But as I've gotten older, I've realized that it's the friendships that I have 
that are the most important thing to me. Like, I guess I thought as a teen and stuff, like, I just need my own house, my own life, my own space. I just want to be alone. Um, And now I think the pandemic has just really brought into sharp focus, like how much, how the most important things to me in my life are the connections I have with other people. And if I didn't have friends like you and others, like I would be nowhere. Um, Like what's the point of having anything if you don't have anyone to share it with? Anyway, I guess I've been having like an emotional week. Um, I was pretty depressed. I was trying to, I was playing Spiritfarer and it was um, definitely soothing me in the spirit. Um, It's been a nice tonic uh, following Mm -hmm. Ghost Tsushima. But anyway, enough about me and the things I should be talking to with my therapist instead. Um, how are you? <laughs> what if? How? What have you been playing? Well, this, this is pixel therapy, so <gasps> that is what we're here to do. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, no, uh, but uh, yeah. So uh, I've been playing. I've continued to be playing. Tell me why, yes. which is the episodic narrative game from Don't Nod, uh, the same developer who did the first two seasons of Life is Strange. And Tell Me Why is very much in the same vein as the Life is Strange games. Uh, It doesn't have the Life is Strange uh, name on it, the branding on it, but I think it's very much uh, a continuation of what they were doing with the Life is Strange series. And uh, the third and final episode came out on Thursday, and I actually finished that this morning. And I'm still, I think I'm still processing uh, what I ultimately think and feel about this game. Uh, I was looking at reviews. It's got a 79% on Metacritic, which Mm. is pretty comparable to Life is Strange Season 2. But I just kind of left the game not feeling like it had the same kind of emotional impact on me that Season 2 of Life is Strange did, or even Season 1 to some extent. Mm. And I've been trying to figure out uh, exactly why that is. Um, there's, There's so much that I like about what the game is trying to do. I just don't know if it succeeds at it. Uh, It takes a really interesting angle on things that I think I like in theory, but not in practice. So Mm. I I can elaborate a little bit on that. I mean, the game is telling this, I I guess if if you don't want to know anything about, tell tell me why is a narrative game. The narrative is the most important part of it. So if you don't want to know anything about the narrative of this game and you haven't played it, uh, I would definitely check out now. Uh, for a little bit, because I'm I'm not going to be spoiling major details of the game, but I'm going to be kind of talking about the overarching narrative. Um, so anyway, uh, we talked about a, this a bit in our last episode, but the game does uh, center on two siblings, a brother and a sister. The brother is a trans man. Um, when they were children, they experienced a pretty severe trauma uh, in which their mother attacked uh, the brother and uh was subsequently killed and the brother went to a juvenile detention center for 10 years uh, to serve time for the, the murder of the mother. The game is the two siblings reconnecting now a decade after this incident. And they're actually cleaning out the house that they grew up in with their mother. And uh, they're, you know, going through her things, going through old memories in the past. They realize in the process that they have the ability to, uh, share memories. They can revisit memories and watch them again from each other's perspectives. Um, they also, as children, had the ability to talk to each other in their heads through this uh, sort of magical spiritual voice connection, and that's able to rekindle as they've reconnected now in their early to mid-20s, I think they're supposed to be. Um, so it's 
it's got this like really um i don't know it's like a if nostalgia is quite, quite the right word, but like they're, you know, you're going through your childhood home and nothing's really been touched in a decade. And you're kind of picking apart all these memories and you're, you're looking back at your childhood through this new lens and you're trying to figure out why, why did the mom attack? Why did this trauma happen to us? Why are we in the situation that we are now? Why do we have this ability to talk to each other in our heads? Um, and that, that's how that all kind of ties back into the narrative. And there's something really, uh, I think, grounded there and something really interesting to pick at about how as we get as we become adults and we look back at our childhood how we uh reanalyze those memories and recontextualize those memories Mm. and how it changes our perspective on the experiences that we had as a child uh because when you're a child there's just so much that you that you can't understand but a lot of it gets stuck in there and you remember it and then you look back on it when you're older and it it all you kind of have to like piece it back together and figure Mm. out how to make sense of it um and this like this personal mystery that they're unraveling over the three episodes of the game, it all kind of, I I like that it so much of it, even though you're, you're trying to, there's these reveal moments, right? There's these aha moments, but the aha moment never feels as much of what the like emotional tension of the game is hinging on as it does of now, what are you going to do with that aha moment? So you've Mm -hmm. learned a thing about this character and what they did when you were a child now you have to decide if you're going to forgive them or if you're going to condemn them for those actions. And that's what the game is hinging on. Hmm. Like your choice there. So or at like, least that's what it oh, are so you literally, are you literally condemning? Like what happens if you condemn someone? That's, and this is where I think the game falls flat hmm. because it both doesn't give you the time you learn the information and then are immediately asked to forgive or condemn. Jeez. Oh, and, <laughs> Regardless of your decision, it doesn't seem to have a real impact on the game. So you're not given time to process. You're not given mm-hmm. time to sit with what the information that you've learned. Um, and then you can make a decision, but it ultimately feels a little hollow because I didn't have any time to process it. I'm being asked to make this decision before I've really had time to think about it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of I ended up forgiving a lot of people, but it was because like I, I saw that as being like the avenue that I would have worked towards. Yes, right. Like right. I would want to forgive this person for what they did because I can see ultimately why they made the choices that they made. However, in this very moment, I'm not ready to make that decision. Right. So when I tell the character when I click the button to have the character say, I forgive you and I want to get to a better relationship with you, it feels empty because it doesn't feel like someone would actually be ready in that moment to say that to this person about this thing that they just learned. Yeah, my heart is like beating. My heartbeat just picked up because it reminds me of like abusive relationships I've mm. had where someone's like, like it, like it feels like in the moment you have to say I forgive you because there's no like the other option would be catastrophic mm, like mm. that's not really how healing works yeah um, no and it's it's frustrating because uh I think it I think that giving time for processing and for just like sitting in moments yeah. is something that the life is strange first two seasons I think it's something that they do really well Right. I was actually I was reading this review from Julie Muncy on Fanbyte. The she writes this article called "Tell Me Why I Can't Find the Time to Enjoy the Quiet," oh, and yes. I I think she really gets to the heart of what my issue is with it. Mm-hmm. She writes, instead of punctuating big moments or living between them, these dashes of silence, often spent looking at scenic, frosty Alaska, usually occur before the action. They feel more like a delaying tactic than a means of reflection. 
This is where the game's focus on siblings, both of whom you control at different points in the story, works against it here. Even the quiet moments are filled with the two of them sharing quips and memories. And while this may be realistic, it also feels overstuffed. There's never a chance for you to simply exist in the lovely space Tell Me Why attempts to bring to life. You are always being told something new or asked to do something or push toward the next dramatic moment. As a result, so much that would resonate just doesn't. Mm. You know, um, that reminded me, I think from that same piece, I, I had observed that, you know, that Don't Nod was certainly trying very hard to do a quote-unquote good job with their first, this first playable trans masculine character. And, you know, part of me wonders if, it was so much more like on a path on the rails than previous life is like, like previous games, like life is strange games because there was this fear on behalf of the developer of, you know, handling something the wrong way. It does seem like they were yeah. like with that whole FAQ they released, um, there was a lot of sort of prefacing uh, and disclaimering and, and content warning. And, um, you know, I, I think it's we need more transmedia period like that's just yep. that's just 100 it. like it's not the job like it, uh, of course we wouldn't be having this conversation if we had many many other <laughs> pieces of media to look at yep. and, and find ourselves in but um I don't know did 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 you sort of sense that like did you feel like the the quality of the game uh was affected by this sort of um pursuit of I don't know what to call it perfectionism when it came to like allyship and fairness. I don't know. You know, I, the, I think in I, general too, like I just want to, I just want to meet like in general, I think it, writers don't seem to have the confidence to speak on, on trans stories because so few trans people are ever allowed to be in that room. And mm-hmm. I, I know that, uh, like Aiden August Black, who uh, plays Tyler, that he contributed to the formation of his role and gave feedback. Um, but also, there should be entire teams of of people uh, consulting like that. Um, yeah. Anyway, what what were you going to say? I, I was just going to say that uh, I I think that could certainly be part of it. Um, I, I've heard the game described as a bit toothless, and mm. I think I think that's true. And I don't, but I don't think it's exclusive to the way they're handling the the trans aspects of the story mm-hmm. i don't think it's exclusive to the way they're handling tyler's character mm-hmm. um there's like i said i'm not going to get into all of the details but there's some very heavy revelations that the twins have about their past and and they're both struggling with it in very real and different ways and for very different reasons and it just doesn't feel like we get to sit in that long enough to feel like it matters. And then uh, like, again, I'm not going to spoil the details of what happens, but the end of the game, you're given an experience that's meant to feel cathartic and just feels empty because I didn't get to like, there's no room for catharsis. Mm. There's, I I didn't get to process anything that just happened. It was (laughs) bam, bam, bam. Yeah. Here's all these revelations. And now, we're okay and you can have this moment of catharsis at the end of the game to reflect. And even in that moment of reflection, they're still doing what Julie alluded to in her article, which is that they'll give you, oh, here's a bench, go sit and just look at the Alaskan wildlife. And you sit down and immediately 
uh, Allison, the sister, starts talking in Tyler's head through the voice. It's mm-hmm. like, I can't even have a yeah. fucking moment of peace and quiet to think, think about everything that just happened. Yeah. And so I, I don't, I guess I, I couldn't put my finger exactly on why they told the story this way. Usually their seasons are five episodes. This is three. Hmm. Why did why did they keep it to three? What what were they afraid of doing if they had stretched that out? If they mm. had given more breath to it, mm-hmm. um, and and then yeah, maybe that does tie back to a fear of being able to tell a more complex narrative around these characters and wanting to just keep it moving and not letting us sit in anything. I, I don't know. Maybe it has to do with them getting bought by Microsoft and and. Mm there was some incentive for them to only do three episodes. I, I don't know what it is, you know, and, and, and they're the life is strange games. The first two seasons, sometimes the stretch to the five episodes felt bloated too. They'd end up adding a lot more melodrama to the story to keep episode four interesting. Mm. So th- these games have never been perfect. And this one certainly isn't either. I do still think it's worth people's time, especially with you being able to get it uh, so cheaply through game pass. Uh, I think it's worth playing. Yeah. Uh, and I and I appreciate, you know, the the characters that they're centering here and and just that it exists in the AAA space. But uh yeah, I was just kind of left wondering like what are the ramifications of the story? What are the ramifications of the decisions I made? What are the ramifications on the characters? They ultimately don't seem too impacted by everything that happened. Um and it's not that I needed anything huge or dramatic to happen, but uh it just yeah. It, yeah. I, I feel like I'm. I was left wanting to actually feel the catharsis that they thought they were giving me. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So moving on from that, we do have a really interesting interview today. And now uh, for something completely different. Yeah. Now for something completely different. Uh, today's interview is with Dylan Iruegas. Uh, Dylan is a theater maker. Uh, he works for How Around Theater Commons. Um, we were especially interested to talk to Dylan because he does something really interesting as as a performer. He actually streams uh, games, dating sims specifically, and performs the characters uh, in in the dating sim. And so we got to have a really cool conversation with him about uh, about how he feels about gaming and gaming culture, whether or not he identifies as a gamer, and and what he's uh, what he's ultimately getting out of these performance opportunities. Yeah, and I re- I really love talking to uh, Dylan just as a as someone who devises theater and his, who's also working to um, sort of imagine what the future of theater looks like in this post pandemic mm. world. Mm-hmm. Um, like I thought that it was really cool to sort of talk about how close, uh, at least in my opinion, like video gaming and theater creation are, just in terms of they're both these very uh, experiential, unique experiences that in many cases can't be exactly recreated. And and what does it mean to sort of interact with that? And um, I love the way that we sort of, that, uh, that he talked about his relationship with games. And I think too that, um, you know, these digital art forms are just becoming more and more um, commonplace. And um, I thought he had some great perspectives to share. So yeah, I'm excited to kick off the conversation. Yeah, so without further ado... Without further ado, here's our interview with Dylan Irregas. Dylan, welcome. Thank you so much for being in the virtual studio with us. 
Yes, this is fantastic. I'm I'm loving this virtual studio that we've created. <laughs> um, and before we start, you know, talking about games and then what brought us here, I'd love uh, if you might want to take a few seconds to introduce yourself. Yeah, totally. Um, so my name is Dylan Iruegas. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, his, or el, si hablas español. Um, I am originally from the Central Texas area, um, but I am currently living it up in Roslindale, in Ooh. Boston. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I, I'm a theater maker by trade. Um, I, I work for HowlRound Theater Commons, um, and, I, and I do a lot of like different freelancing stuff, like acting, directing, um, kind of venturing into playwriting, which is cool. Mm-hmm. You know, super fancy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes uh, sense considering the games you've chosen to talk to doesn't us about it today. <laughs> doesn't it though? It's like, oh, it all it all runs together. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've been I've been living in the Northeast for about a year and a half now. Awesome, so awesome. And so, you know, speaking of performance, you are a theater maker um, and you do something really cool with streaming. Um, so I've checked out your Twitch. You have a really cool channel called, is it Boys with Brains? Is that the, the way to say it? Yes. Okay. Boys with Brains. Um, and what you do is you sort of take, um, so you're working with Otome games, like a visual novel based dating sim type games, um, How to Full Boyfriend, where you're... Um, a young woman in a post-apocalyptic world dating a bunch of birds. Um, <laughs> casual, you know. Casual, as one does. Normal um, shit. Normal shit. Can you tell us more about how you're sort of using these games to create uh, these experimental performances almost with your channel? Wow, you're making it sound so much more cooler than it actually is. No, come on. <laughs> like come all on. these it's like pr- experimental cool. performances. <laughs> uh, would literally like I could probably sum it down. It's like one thing. I was like, I was bored and I did it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Isn't yeah. that how all good things come to be, though? Yeah, it's so true. It's so so true. Um, yeah. So I think the gosh, um, I guess I'll I'll go back to like a little bit of like history of like how it started and kind of yeah. get into what I doing now um yeah so one of my good my good dudes um my friend uh dr jesse o'rear now mm-hmm. i have to plug that in because he just got his uh, <laughs> approval yes. he's officially nice. a doctor now um congrats. <laughs> yes congrats to him um yeah so he um who i want to say like three years ago or so um started playing dream daddy mm-hmm. um and he decided to to start live streaming it and it was it was one of the major hurricanes that happened in Central Texas that year. Mm. Um, so it was like lots of flooding, like nobody was going anywhere. Very similar to how the pandemic started. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. And dark so he was, and stormy night. Yes, dark and stormy nights. Um, and yeah, so he he was just like uh, live streaming it, and he was like essentially creating it kind of like a uh, like similar to like an audio drama. Uh, where he was just like doing doing all the voices and stuff like that. And I was like, this is really fun. Like I actually like enjoy playing that. Um, and so then fast forward and now to to when pandemic hit, I was like, okay, um, I'm not doing any theater. I thankfully I had my my full time day job, so like I could actually you know support myself. Very thankful for that. But I was like, I need to be creative somehow. Um, oh yeah, wait. I've done this before. Like I've seen these things happen before where like, you know, watching people play um, it's even like on Twitch and things like that, but having more fun with it because, you know, actor, 
actor. Actor. Acting. Um, <laughs> it's acting. <laughs> I, I have a degree in it. It's fine. This is what it, it, that all of that thousands of dollars have paid for exactly. um, me performing on Twitch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> At a doctorate level, mind you, with yes. your co-host. Yes, <laughs> yes with, my, with my friend. Um, yeah, so I just kind of started, started doing this like very similar things where um, I just hopped on uh, Facebook Live um, and started, yeah, just playing, playing Dream Daddy, um, doing the silly voices, going all the way through. And like, there's an, like, uh, you know, the interactive part of it is, makes it like another form of theater for me, um, where it just, you know, kind of creates that, um, creates the interaction between everybody. And so the audience and like, they can even like with those, those kind of games, like they help kind of steward like the, the directions are going. Okay. Like, cause when you get to the, to the screens that you, where you have choices, it's like, okay, like I know what I want to choose. What do you guys want to choose? Mm. Um, so it's kind of, it helps in that way to kind of create more of a performance out of it. Like an improv almost like you're almost sort of depending on what kind of prompt the audience will give you. Um, that's really interesting. I, I think too, like something that's really cool about these games is, you know, they, they are entirely text-based and there are images there, but really it's on the imagination of the player to, you know, create uh, the voices of who they're looking at as well as craft a narrative that feels true to them. Um, so I think that they're like, you really can make it something original with your own acting because no one else's mind is going to recreate the game in the same way that you did, uh, with your recording. Um, what's the reception been like to folks who have watched your, your streams? Um, pretty, pretty fun. Like it's, it's a lot of, um, silly things. It's like mostly a bunch of my friends. I want to say like maybe the most I had on one stream was like 20 to 30 people like it wasn't i know like ooh, so many people watching the streams <laughs> it's just been really good to to see how people interact i think that's that's my biggest thing that i always think of mm-hmm. um but i will say that it led to kind of a really cool opportunity that um my friend jesse and i were able to do so we actually created um boys with brains uh, because we were asked uh, to participate in a thing called Downtown Variety. Um, so Culture Hub New York City, in partnership with La Mama in New York, mm. um, during pandemic times when they started, they were also kind of going into the whole, like, what are we going to do for performance? Like, how will we get people to interact and things like that? Yeah. Um, do, do live theater, but online, like, what does that mean? Um, and so they did their a version of their uh, variety show um called downtown variety and just transferred it on online um and then so we were we were approached by them like hey would you all like to be a part of one of our our variety shows um and thus the boys with brains were born um yeah and that and with that is when we specifically played hot to food boyfriend um and live streamed it that way which was also through live stream through my work so that was like a really interesting intersection yeah So part of the reason this podcast exists is because um, like I'm a trans person of uh, mixed Filipinx uh, and Irish descent. Um, I'm non-binary. Um, I've played games my entire life. Um, but when I look in the media, I mean, um, 
I don't see myself reflected in like the people talking about games uh, or in the games themselves. And so um, just like having conversations with other trans people about games is so much different than having a conversation with another cis person about a game. Because when I'm playing a game, I'm bringing all of my experience to that character. And I'm like, I'm seeing, I look I look for trans narratives in games because they're not there for me. And when I talk to other queer and trans people about games, we have these incredibly imaginative conversations, these conversations that take what little we're given and create even deeper worlds out of them. Um, now we're at a part at a point where we're getting some trans representation in gaming. But I think that there's something really, really special. And you didn't explicitly say if everyone on the stream was like trans, but I'm going to assume that there were other folks there um, who, you know, uh, shared queer identity. And I, and I think that in itself, like QTPOC joy, QTPOC hanging out, QTPOC just like shooting the shit on a stream, like that's <laughs> kind of revolutionary considering the fact that so much of the gaming community is so hateful and mm -hmm. exclusive to people like us. Like, I don't know, what, what do you think about the sort of fandom surrounding video games? Yeah, um, I think it's it's one of those things where I've definitely tried to separate myself from it. Like, mm -hmm. I in no ways consider myself a gamer. Mm. Like, that is not a, an identity that I adopt. Um, mm. And I kind of, like, jokingly, and it's it's a little harsh, so sorry about that. But, no, like, don't I always, be sorry. <laughs> uh, but, like, there's, like, I've definitely joked in the past that it was, like, oh, like, cis cishets, like, really want an identity so badly, and they, like, just create these, like, random ones based on what they like to do. Mm. Uh, and mm. so, like, and being a gamer is, like, very, very similar to that. Um, whereas, like, if you actually do have, like, all these other marginalized identities, then gaming is just something that you can do for fun as an outlet away yes. from the life that you're living. Um, so like, like, yeah, like I, I, so I never considered myself a gamer because I never was like intentionally in those spaces with like cishet folks. Um, and actually like interesting enough, like that reminds me. So, um, I did a, a, a play reading, um, for, for specifically for zoom. It was the, um, uh, based on the Decameron series, which was back in, I want to say the Renaissance area era. Um, they did, uh, it was it was a set of plays around one of the times of the major um, uh, uh, pandemics then, mm. um, and so they they updated it and they called it the COVID to Cameron series. Mm. Um, but the the one that I was a part of was a short play called Gamers, and it was okay. making fun of that like gaming like lifestyle, and, like the way that people talk back and forth to each other, um, and so it was actually like really hard. I don't want to say really hard, but it was it was rather hard for me to like get into that mindset. So I was like, wow, I'm playing like one of those douchey cishet bro gamers, and I don't can't relate. Like, can't relate. Can't at all. Like not here <laughs> for it at all. <laughs> well, that that is really fascinating. I, I love what you said. Uh, it reminds me of a tweet that I saw a couple weeks ago about how like um, it was talking about how in the absence of culture that you experience with whiteness, like like there is no white culture what you end up doing is adopting symbolisms symbols of consumerism and capitalism and making that your culture and so when looters are burning down a chilies it feels like your family heirlooms are being destroyed and i think <laughs> yo but for real though 
Um, And I do feel like, you know, applying that same framework to this idea of what does it mean to be a capital G gamer when that culture has been defined by like, who's the loudest, who's the trollingest, who's the best at shooting, who's the best at uh, like putting other people down. Like you can very easily adopt that as a sort of like machismo or something. Mm -hmm. Like I can very easily see that. Um, Love that take. Hot take. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, what is your history with gaming? You you said you didn't identify as a gamer, and I'd love to hear you say more about that if you have any more thoughts. But what's your history with games? How did you, as someone who doesn't identify as, who does not identify as a gamer, how did you get into games? So I say that, but I'm not a gamer. And then when I actually, like, look at my history, I was like, oh, I've been playing games pretty much my entire life. Mm. Um, (laughs) That resonates. Yeah, like, the, the first system that I can remember having and like specifically asking for was the Game Boy system. Mm. Um, And I had the old like big gray brick, like Game Boy. That was my first thing (laughs) that I had. I actually still have it to this day. Um, It's a relic. It really is. And it like kind of- Might be worth them. (laughs) Yeah. I think if it it wasn't, unfortunately like the screen is kind of janky. Um, (laughs) The emotional value is more than the, than the commercial value anyway. Oh yeah, that's, that's so true. I could probably get something for the the games themselves because they definitely still work. I have like uh, Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat 2, Tetris, uh, Kirby Dreamland, Super Mario Brothers, like all those like original, original Nintendo games. Like that's what I had. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I want to say I was like seven or so when I got that, like I was relatively young. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so that was my that was my first game game experience. Yeah, um, and then I also had uh, both uh, PlayStation One and Two. Uh, nice. Those came out when I was like in around ooh, like middle school, high school. Mm-hmm. Um, formative also, years. So formative, and I'm also aging myself so much right now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no one Google when the PlayStation came out. <laughs> like, it's fine. I like I might have played the first Harry Potter. It's fine. Yes. <laughs> but, oh, I still yeah. remember those. <laughs> yeah, with those horrible, horrible graphics, but they were so cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, we man. thought they were good at the time. Oh yeah, we sure did. Um and then when uh Guitar Hero came out, I think I was in college at that point. Um mm-hmm. so that was like the big like college party game yeah. that you did all together. Like you like, if, especially if you weren't going to do, like, um, Flip Cup or um, mm-hmm. Beer Pong or any of those. Like, mm-hmm. you played Guitar Your Hero. Your time to shine. Band. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and even, like, the Guitar Hero was, just, like, just the one guitar. Like, you couldn't even have, like, the rest of the band yet. Like, yeah. that, was, that was the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and I want to say I was in college when we came out. So I had one of those, like the first iteration of a Wii, um, which was fun. Like I, I definitely played like the sports games and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, Wii is like the casual pickup console, mm-hmm. right? I, like, yeah, you know, I feel like playing a little tennis today, yeah. uh, <laughs> but it's a little dreary outside. So I'll just pick up the Wii. Yeah, the, the Wii is the console that like my grandmother went out and bought for herself. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, totally casual gamers. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, I think with, at least for me, from what I remember, like with the Xbox came like the um, the advent of like online gaming, mm-hmm. um, 
especially with things like like Call of Duty and uh, Red Dead Redemption, mm-hmm. like all those games. And I actually like wasn't into them. I was like, I'll play them. Like if we have a bunch of friends like together playing it, sure. But like that was not the games that like interested me at all. What about them were was not interesting to you? Um, gosh, so many things. I think that was like the the I like immediately saw in them the like bro gamer culture mm-hmm. start to come out of there, and so like dealing with also like I don't want to say like I didn't, I hated killing people, but it was like sure. a little too much for me. I was just mm-hmm. like I don't. This isn't fun. Like, it's not I don't, why I'm playing the game. Exactly. Yeah, and also like I think a lot of the times like with what I at least what I saw with the people that I was playing with who were playing those games, they were very much like the you know oh had a stockpile of guns. Um, we're going out to the shooting range all the time, and we're trying to live out their their police and or military fantasies, even though they couldn't mm. be a part of it. Um, I grew up in Texas, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like that, like those were the kind of people who were playing these games all the time. And so yeah. it was just like, like it was the, for me, it wasn't necessarily like the games themselves. It was like the culture surrounding the games and the people that I knew who were all playing them. Right. Yeah. And it's also like a very narrow, narrow um, definition in terms of the heroes of these games. Like, yes, one's in space and yes, one's in the old West and yes, one's in a zombie apocalypse, but the protagonists still look, look and act very much the same. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't kind of vibe with that certain type of cis white male individualistic uh, brute force type of heroic archetype, like, or even anti-hero, the type of like, oh, I'm a tragic genius. Like, uh, what's what other room is left for you to exist in that world? Like, um, yeah, yeah. I, I can see that. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, so it wasn't necessarily like really. Uh, yeah, I'd say I'd actually say within the past like couple of years, where I like actually started getting into gaming again. Um, and I think a lot of it was like my own like internal like judgment of myself of like, well, if I get in, if I play this game that I'm like, like I'm not going to play Sims because like my ex Mm. loves Sims. And so that was like a whole thing. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Or like, I'm not going to play like on these platforms because of that. And then like, yeah, within the past few years, especially like as I've been, I'm like now five years into my medical transition. I was just like, Mm -hmm who gives a fuck? (laughs) You know, it's for my own joy. So like, why not play some games? It's fine. Right. Right. You can define what a gamer is. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You know, it's funny when you say like these, uh, the certain types of people you associate with games. Like I, like I think of gaming as a very solitary activity that I do for enjoyment. And I, Mm -hmm. I, it reminded me of sort of how, um, like cooking is another activity that is can be very solitary, sort of calming, relaxing. It's methodical. You're on your own. You're building skills. Um, but when it's sort of taken uh, from being a hobby and elevated into like a mainstream activity it, and we start applying these tenets of like masculinity and white supremacy to it in order to make it palatable to a wide audience mm-hmm. because cooking as you know is is woman's work um <laughs> unless you want to be you, professional and then you're a white right <laughs> and then suddenly it's it's a sport suddenly it's a battle suddenly uh you know we're in cutthroat kitchen 
Um, mm. it, and it becomes like in order for it to be acceptable as a hobby, we need to apply this competitive, inherent competitiveness to it. We need to apply this inherent, um, you know, battle uh, sort of uh, fighting for recognition. Like, like there's all of this um, additional crap that we feel like we have mm-hmm. to surround it with. Um, so it's interesting to hear you say that about gaming because I can certainly see parallels there. Absolutely. So you told us that uh, both How to Full Boyfriend and Dream Daddy were games that had a really big influence on your life. Um, and so I'd love for you to start which, with whichever one you'd like, but maybe tell us a bit about uh, those games. Yeah, um, I guess I'll start with uh, Dream Daddy because I'm definitely a little bit more more well versed in that. Um, it's just so silly. <laughs> it's so silly and so gay, mm-hmm. just so so gay. <laughs> and like, if there if those are like the the only two ingredients of a game, you're gonna have me like hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> like, <laughs> mm-hmm. just make it silly, make it gay, done. Um, but yeah, like the, I I particularly love the relatively like streamline of, of the storyline like it's very very simple it's not it's you know it's a click-through game like it's mm-hmm. nothing too too crazy but um you can still have fun and the mini games um surprised me every time they come up even when i still play to this day i'm just like wait is the mini game coming now or uh. wait is it okay now that's happening great cool 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 and then also like figuring out how to play the mini game it's like i click right like that's how that's, uh so so silly um but yeah like i love i'm definitely a, a sucker for creating characters and avatars like mm. um and that's like one thing that i really loved um about dream daddy is that you you had the option to have your dad be be queer and to be trans um mm-hmm. And I had, like, when I saw that, I was like, wait, what? You can put a binder on this kid? What? Yeah. <laughs> like, mind blown. <laughs> right. Yeah. Representation is so important. Yeah, absolutely. And then, like, all the all the other, like, fun customizable things you can do with your character. Like, all the different skin tones, all the different hair colors. Um, the clothes are pretty fabulous. Like, I'm like, where can I, where can I cop some of these? Um, <laughs> I want those for my own wardrobe. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so those those were like the, the the biggest things that like definitely drew me into it, and then and then yeah, just like with the the playthrough of the game itself, um, having all these very like distinctive voices um, that you could play, and like all the different dads, and also just like the silliness of like the dad book, mm-hmm. um, and the and the I actually really do enjoy the the character um, voice acting that they have. They're like very very simple, silly things that they say in their reactions but like sometimes i'll like even still quote them to to friends or like to my partner i'll be like sweet manchego he's like what yes. <laughs> I was like, yeah. like don't remember hot dad come on he's like oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i got it now <laughs> oh of course hot dad hot dad done <laughs> i think uh, too there's something really sweet about how the like LGBTQ characters or identities aren't treated as like a special storyline or like a niche thing. Like it's just this world is set up that way. Like folks are queer. Um, mm-hmm. Like you don't really often see 
queer storylines featured in games without having to sort of be caveated by like, oh, but this queer person's going through a ton of violence or like, oh, but this queer person is like uh, a villain. Like mm-hmm. there's something nice about this world that's just made for people like us. Yeah, absolutely. And like, there are definitely times where it kind of like strays a little bit into that area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously with like your your first dad, I mean, you can choose to say if you like what the the gender of your partner was beforehand, um, but like obviously, like they passed away, so like that's the whole like beginning. Of, like, oh, this is like kind of sad. Um, and then, yeah, with with some of the other other dads, where it's like kind of a queer thing, maybe, but it's also like not touched upon. Uh, so that's like both like a I, I would say like a very positive thing of like sexuality isn't necessarily defined with all the dads. Mm-hmm. But also, like, on the other hand, it ha- definitely, like, impacts um, how you play and, like, where you go to the playthrough and stuff. And then do you all know about the uh, the director's cut? Or No. Or, like, I know the, it's called the dad director's cut. Oh, yeah, the dad director's cut. Um, <laughs> or maybe I'm thinking, oh, no, it's the, the unreleased. They, 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 they released oh, it for okay. a short period of time, but then they, like, took it off. But there was, like, this whole, like, other side to the Joseph character. Um, and he's, he's the dad who's the... Um, the youth pastor Uh Um, and where he's actually like in a cult and he's like trying to seduce all the other dads to I I don't even remember exactly what it is because like I just remember finding out about this I think it was like two or three years ago where it was like wait 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 they're doing what Um, and like like, when you do the playthrough especially with um, oh what's his name The, the single dad who's like Robert, um, the, the bad boy, um, how he likes to go like chasing. He's like, there's a, there's weird things that happen in this neighborhood and blah, blah, blah. Mm. Um, and so like, there's a lot of the elements still in the game that are like the weird unsettling things that eventually did lead you to like being trapped by Joseph in his mm. basement and his children are actually demons. Like, Oh my God. Yeah. It's <laughs> there's always some right? kind of twist, right? Oh, <laughs> But I know that they, yeah, they just decided not to go with that, like in the in the general release. Mm-hmm. And I want to say it was like a very very like limited release that they they let you play that, mm-hmm. um, because like it was also like kind of weird, kind of homophobic, like leaned into homophobia mm-hmm. yeah. um, with the Joseph character. Um, so they're like, we don't really like this. Like we're we want to keep it like a little bit more wholesome and like right. good for like the general audience that we, that we want to have. Yeah, um, yeah. But there's still there's still evidence of it out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Had a Full Boyfriend has been described as one reviewer called it the most eccentric and incoherent dating simulator of all time. And honestly, I hope to be remembered the same way. Um, <laughs> Dylan, can you tell us about about this riveting God. game? <laughs> they're birds. They're all birds. Everyone is birds. Um, and it's like, and we, you live in a cave. Like, I think that's like the biggest thing that like is unanswered mm-hmm. in the entire yeah. thing that I'm like, yep. we're the only human and we live in a cave mm-hmm. and we eat like yes. this weird, like, like, I think it's like a nutritional stick or whatever it was mm-hmm. instead of like seeds. I'm like, what? I, and there's also like very weird to like. Uh, how they how the birds will talk about the human and be like your your hunter gatherer instincts. Mm-hmm. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> I 
Yeah. So like for folks who may not know, like the premise of the game is basically like uh, the strain of the H1N1 bird flu virus has swept the world. Uh, humans have been wiped out and in an attempt to save the human race, uh, they tried to transfer like human brains into bird bodies who would be resilient to the virus. And so now we're in a world where uh, humans have been mostly wiped out. Birds have taken over as the dominant species and humans that are surviving have been relegated to their sort of prehistoric uh, vibing hang times of sort of looking for food, <laughs> hanging out in caves and trying not to get eaten. Mm-hmm. Um, and our, and our hero finds themselves uh, in the prestigious uh, bird school. Um, and I'd love to hear more about, um, like we talked about the, the joy and fun that these games bring. Um, what makes them sort of stand out to you as being these really meaningful games to you as well? Like, like what has their impact on you been? Uh, it's been it's just really been fun to perform them. I think that like the, the characters are just silly. They're just fun and you get to do voice acting and like everything is there for you. So you don't have to create anything. Like I don't have to go out and write my own stuff. I'm just like, here we go. Let's do it. Done. Um, and also like, I know several playwrights who also like their, their day job is writing games uh, for, for gameplay and stuff like that. So like, I know like you, you can tell when you have like the good games of that have good writers behind them because you can actually like go through these as ridiculous as they can be, like all these different story arcs um, and have fun with that. So, so it's just yeah, for me, it, it's it's really like another way to have my um, my my creativity or performativity um, out there in just like such an easy and like accessible way. really interesting like you are a theater maker um working on a a national scale with HowlRound and something that you have been talking about is you know what does theater making look like in a post-pandemic world in a in a digital world it seems like you've already been sort of exploring that with with how you're playing these games um like what is it like thinking about the future of theater like like uh how are you thinking about um these that kind of digital connection for me i I think a lot of people get stuck on oh well pandemic theater is zoom theater and that's all that it is Mm -hmm. um and i think yes like that's the that was the thing that popped up first and that was the easily most easily accessible form of theater that came apart came up um but it's also been like around for a while um there is a a conference that happens in uh, Kingston, Ontario, called um, Folda Fest, Festival of Live Digital Art. Yes. Um, <laughs> and um, and so yeah, they like their their bread and butter is um, just like how how we can incorporate digital arts and um, into in, into live performance. Like one of my favorite ones uh, was a Minecraft one. Um, or it's these kids, like little kids, I'm talking about like 10, 11, 12 year olds who are on stage and they are creating the world as like, as they're sitting there, but you still, you have these like three actors who are also playing on Minecraft. Um, but they, there is like a, th- a storyline that they're doing and you can watch everything happening on the screen above their head. 
scripts. So you're watching everybody like create the world and going in through through their scripts, but you're also like the characters of like who you're supposed to like watch is on on the screen behind them. Um, so that's like one way that that I've seen it kind of integrated in. Um, and then another one that I that I saw, um, and I don't remember the name. And I, ah, um, but it's it's essentially so it's it's the it, the idea behind it is that this uh, woman wanted to create a show that could be toured, but that she did not have to tour herself so she mm. could have a lower carbon footprint. Ah, and cool. so yeah, and so what happens is that they find a local actor to do it. They give them a packet and a script that has like, yeah, it has the script and it has a video and they only have it. I want to say for like three days or something like that um, before they perform it live in front of an audience. And so you have on one side, you have a screen, a projection of um, whatever the storyline is that she wants to go through. And then on the other screen, um, you have the actor who's in front of a green screen and they're being videoed so that their images will show up on the other screen that you're also watching. Um, so it ha- it incorporates like all that kind of like live, live video transferring and a little bit of improv too, because there are, there are blanks in the script that like they don't know. And so they'll have to mm. answer whatever questions are being asked of them in real, in real, real time. Um, so I think I think like digital theater is already happening, and there are lots of different ways that that, that it's being incorporated. Um, so it's not just necessarily like Zoom pandemic theater, right? Anymore. And so, but also like even then, like some of the things that people are doing on Zoom, it's really really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's there's one uh, person who created an opera on zoom because like the big thing, it was always about like the music and how there's a lag and like, you can't ever do anything like in real time. And she found ways around that. Mm -hmm. Um, so that you could like actually like listen to a live stream of an opera in real time. And it actually was like seamlessly happening. So like, yeah, like it's, it's all these like different innovations that are happening. And I think I'm actually really, really super excited and stoked about it. Yeah, I mean, it feels like the definition of theater, like even the things that you just described, like I feel like they share threads with uh, what you do with Twitch and streaming, like all of the, these these walls between uh, what types of uh, art or creation are and like what, like I think this idea that inherently something deteriorates in value because it's streamed, like we clearly see with the popularity of video and of streamers and of podcasts, like that's very clearly not true. Like audio can be a very rich and and, and video can be a very rich experience. So yeah, I think it's a very exciting time to be in theater. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh yeah. That just uh, brought up another thing of um, audio dramas. Like I, I, there, we're starting to see like a real renaissance in audio dramas um, because of podcasting and yeah. yeah. And I, and I think that's also like just another way for people to, yeah, really, really, um, yeah. think creatively in how to create new, new theater because audio drama is an, is another form of theater just using a completely different medium. And it's so cool. It's yes. so cool. So cool. Um, Dylan, before you go, we'd love to know what you're up to and where folks can find you. Totally. Um, I am not up to much. Um, <laughs> I say that and then I'm like doing like 5 million things. Right. Um, 
But as far as uh, this goes, um, I am, I just got a fancy new mic. Um, so I'm going to do some, some new live streams soon of me playing nice. Dream Daddy and maybe Hot Dog Boyfriend. Um, yeah, so you can find uh, me on, if you want to follow my personal stuff, um, on pretty much all the social medias and Twitch, um, just at Dylan Nidwega, so at D-I-L-L-O-N-Y-R-U-E-G-A-S. Um, and then I'm also part of a collective with me and my good friend, Jesse. Um, and we are boys with brains. Um, if you look up on, yeah, it's everything. It's boys with brains. Um, I think on, on Instagram, it's boys with B brains. Um, cause you know, boys with brains was already taken. So we added in an extra B. How dare they? It's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's where you can find me. Yay! Well, thank you so much, Dylan. Um, This has been awesome. Absolutely. This is great. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, We hope that listening to our thoughts and feelings gave you some thoughts and feelings of your own. If you enjoyed this episode, we would very much appreciate it if you could rate us and review us on your podcast application of choice. It makes a world of difference for a little baby podcast like us. If you want to reach out to us, maybe you've got a great story about a game that changed you, a guest recommendation, a question, or even just a comment for us, whatever it is, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us by email at pixeltherapypod at gmail.com. And hey, who knows? If you write us something interesting, we may just have to read it on the show sometime. You can stay up to date on all things Pixel Therapy, like announcements of upcoming guests, clips of unreleased episodes, and whatever else tickles our fancies by following us on social media at Pixel Therapy Pod or visiting our website at pixeltherapypod.com. Spencer? Hello. I am here to present you with this week's side quest. Um, our side quests are uh, opportunities for you to get involved either in your local community or on a national scale. Um, just think of them as ideas. Um, and this week, uh, we wanted to talk to you about the Okra Project, um, and you can find them online at www.theokraproject.com, and that's T-H-E-O-K-R-A-P-R-O-J-E-C-T.com. And the Okra Project is a really awesome collective. They are based in New York City, um, but they're operating totally online right now, um, and they are founded to address uh, you know, this global crisis faced by Black trans people um, by bringing them home-cooked, healthy, and culturally resonant meals um, and resources to Black trans people wherever they can be reached. Um, they are called the Okra Project um, because Black diaspora c- uh, cooking often includes uh, usage of the okra plant for its versatility um, and its association with health, prosperity, and community. Um, in this spirit, the Okra Project is really bringing um, free, nourishing meals um, to folks who are experiencing food insecurity. And, and food is really a foundation of survival. So this is really necessary, beautiful work. Um, uh, before the pandemic, uh, they would actually have Black trans chefs um, go into the homes of other Black trans folks and, and cook for them. And, and it was something that brought um, community as well as nourishment. It's a really cool project. Um, something else that the Okra Project has been focused on recently is um, you know, they have not turned a blind eye to the murders of Nina Pop, of Tony McDade, and so many more Black trans people just this year. Um, they recognize um, that our Black trans siblings are really feeling the weight um, 
of their siblings being murdered. And and while these murderers are walking free or the police just doesn't even care to investigate it. Um, so what the Oprah Project is doing is they've set up um, the Nina Pop Mental Health Recovery Fund, as well as the Tony McDade Mental Health Recovery Fund. And these are emergency mutual aid funds um, where folks can basically donate the cost of a mental health therapy session to a Black trans person who would otherwise not be able to access it. Um, and that's so that these folks are able to access a safe place to process and heal and cope with the emotional stress um, of what's going on in the United States in terms of, you know, the continued violence that's brought against um, Black and brown folks and the unchecked, uh, you know, police uh, presence that is just running rampant and um, destroying our communities. You can give monetary support to sustain this work. Um, and you can also, if you ha- are someone who has a scheduled session with a Black mental health therapist, you can literally donate that session. To find out more, uh, visit theokraproject.com um, and read about this really, really cool and necessary organization. Mm, yeah. Thank you for that side quest, Spencer. We certainly... Uh, believe in the importance of therapy mm-hmm. on this podcast. Uh, all right. Well, that's our show for you today, folks. We hope you'll go forth, run a story mission, level up some stats. And don't forget to hug an NPC every now and then. We'll be back soon with some more pixel therapy. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.